Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, Campus Cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, full-time college administrator, part-time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my serious crime scale, with 1 being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 5. On a freezing cold winter day in December of 1996, the body of a 21-year-old University of Oklahoma dance student was found at a nearby lake in the Oklahoma City metro. The student, Julie Buskin, had been kidnapped and bound before she was raped and then ultimately shot in the head execution style. For nearly eight years, her killer remained at large, but in 2004, law enforcement said DNA positively identified the killer as Anthony Sanchez. Now, in 2023, the man police and a jury of his peers say is responsible for the crime will be put to death later this year on September 21st. Although, some evidence may suggest that Sanchez wasn't the killer after all. Instead, his defense is arguing that Sanchez's father was the actual killer based on newly discovered information. Now, I'm personally on the fence about this one, and I'm landing on the conclusion that the only way Anthony Sanchez wouldn't be guilty of this crime is if you believe in conspiracy theories and consider the possibility that somebody somewhere was able to fabricate or alter the DNA results, which to me is highly unlikely. So let's get to the story and you can decide for yourself. Is Anthony Sanchez really the one who viciously murdered Julie Buskin? Or is it more likely that his father, Thomas Glenn Sanchez, is the real murderer? This episode is titled, A Bitter Winter Slaying. So without further ado, let's get started. In late December of 1996, Jewel Jean Buskin, who more commonly went by Julie, packed up her things in Norman, Oklahoma, because she planned to return to her parents' home in Arkansas and enroll in graduate school. You see, for the past several years, Julie had been attending the School of Dance at the University of Oklahoma, commonly known as OU, and she had just graduated earlier in the month. On the night of December 19, 1996, Julie spent one last night with her friends. They were celebrating the end of the semester and having a Christmas party, saying their goodbyes, and basically treating it as somewhat of a going-away party, especially since Julie had graduated and planned on going back home to Arkansas. Former Cleveland County District Attorney Tim Kirkendall told Oklahoma's News 9, quote, They thought their goodbyes were for the semester until after Christmas. Little did they know that their goodbyes would be forever, end quote. 
The next morning, on December 20th, 1996, Julie woke up early to take her friend and fellow OU dance student, Megan Hewlett, to the airport. But as Julie returned to her apartment complex in Norman, a man appeared in the parking lot, forced her into her car, and drove away. Twelve hours later, Julie's lifeless body was discovered at the edge of a nearby lake. Cleveland County Sheriff Joe Lester said, quote, If you can imagine being out in 10 below zero or 20 below zero weather and being kidnapped, raped, and murdered, and being left at the edge of Lake Stanley Draper, that was a horrific crime, end quote. Detectives immediately got to work to figure out who would commit such a heinous act to such an innocent person, but they found themselves coming up short on leads. According to a 2004 article in The Oklahoman, a daily newspaper in Oklahoma City, progress was slow in Julie's case because literally not one person they interviewed had any type of motive to kill Julie, like at all. There were just no obvious suspects, no smoking guns. So they began to lean on the theory that it was a crime of opportunity by a complete stranger, which can often make these types of cases even harder to work and solve. Obviously, though, they did collect as much physical evidence as possible at the crime scene, and of course, any biological evidence on Julie's body and clothing. From the scene, police collected a shoe print and also glove prints inside the vehicle, but not necessarily any fingerprints that would lead to a suspect. However, they did find DNA that the killer left behind on Julie's underwear and her pink leotard, which would be the primary piece of evidence used in the case moving forward. It's also important to note that they did interview a witness who was able to give them a description of a potential suspect she thought she might have seen in Julie's car. So police were able to draw up a sketch based on the details that the witness could remember. By the year 2000, so four years after Julie's murder, a forensics lab was able to develop a DNA profile of the unknown killer from the DNA collected at the scene. At that point, District Attorney Tim Kirkendall filed charges against the profile and entered it into the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS. Like I said, though, at that point back in 2000, they still didn't know the name of the killer. So they filed charges and issued an arrest warrant for the suspect using the name John Doe. In a 2004 interview with Rebecca Leung for 60 Minutes, Kirkendall explained this further. He said, quote, We don't know their correct name, we don't know their correct whereabouts, but we have filed criminal charges against a specific person for the murder, rape, and kidnapping of Julie Buskin. We filed charges for the main reason to get around the statute of limitations problem. There is no statute of limitations as to murder, end quote. There was, however, a statute of limitations for the other counts, so officially filing the charges kept them alive. In other words, time wasn't their problem but finding a name for their John Doe, on the other hand, was. So police embarked on a type of mass DNA screening, also called a DNA dragnet. Essentially, it's a process where law enforcement officials ask hundreds or even thousands of people for samples of their blood or saliva in hopes of either excluding certain individuals or finding the one person whose DNA matches the DNA from the crime scene. And yes, this does include asking innocent people for their DNA. According to 60 Minutes, the DNA dragnet process can be extremely helpful in solving crime cases. For example, in Britain in 1987, after two teens were raped and murdered, police asked at least 5,000 different males, every single male in three nearby villages, for blood samples. One man was missing from the group, so police tracked him down, took his DNA, got a positive match, and bam, they found the perpetrator. 
one of the largest known DNA dragnets was conducted in Germany in 2001. More than 16,000 people were tested before the killer of an 11-year-old girl was ultimately found. So law enforcement working Julie's case decided a DNA dragnet was the best avenue to potentially find Julie's killer. They started by asking for DNA samples from any and everyone who regularly interacted with Julie, including OU students, everyone in her ballet troupe, including stagehands, neighbors at her apartment complex, and employees at the golf course where Julie worked part-time. And in most cases where people refused, the DA obtained a court order to force them to give a DNA sample. Now, some people criticize this tactic of conducting a mass DNA sweep because they worry the DNA could somehow be used against them in the future, which to me is a very reasonable concern. However, police inspector Maddox assured the public that this was not the case in Julie's case. Maddox said, quote, If I take a sample on this case, it is compared to this case only and cannot be used for any other cases. So an honest person has nothing to fear by a DNA sample, end quote. But it's critical to point out that while this tactic is considered legal, the DNA must be given voluntarily by each individual. If people do not volunteer, then it can paint a target on their back and lead to suspicion. Maddox said, quote, for them not to cooperate with us in solving her case, it leaves an open end out there for us to look at, end quote. Basically, detectives begin to look for motives in those who don't volunteer their DNA. Kirkendall elaborated on this and said, quote, I think law enforcement just looks at this from a standpoint of no one is eliminated until DNA has eliminated them, end quote. In Oklahoma, as the DNA was being collected through the dragnet process, the samples were kept in envelopes in a crime lab where strict precautions were taken to protect the donor's privacy. Now, while they were doing this, however, they also kept in mind the potential that Julie's killer could have already been behind bars for a different crime altogether. Honestly, that's always a possibility when unknown DNA is first discovered. So, police also took DNA samples from a ton of inmates. But at the time, in the early 2000s, they didn't have the resources or funds to process them. Maddox said, quote, it's really caused us a problem because it takes so much money and so much time and manpower to process these samples that our database right now is very small, end quote. In April of 2003, though, a man who had been convicted of second-degree burglary had his DNA taken as part of routine procedure. The man was then 24-year-old Anthony Sanchez. The Oklahoman reported that Oklahoma law requires violent offenders and burglars to submit their DNA, which is then turned over to the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, or OSBI, and then it's entered into CODIS. Sanchez's DNA sample, along with at least 17,000 others taken from Oklahoma inmates, had been shelved and stored in a crime lab until the state eventually received federal funding to pay for testing. That funding finally came in January of 2004, and by July 26, 2004, CODIS made a tentative match between Sanchez's DNA profile and the DNA from the crime scene. At that point, DA Kirkendall amended the previously filed charges against the John Doe and brought those same charges against Anthony Castillo Sanchez. He was officially charged with first-degree murder, first-degree rape, forcible sodomy, and kidnapping. News of the DNA match came as both a surprise and a relief to Julie's parents, Bud and Mary Jean Buskin. Mary Jean told the Oklahoman, quote, 
Our prayers were answered. We wanted whoever it was to be somewhere where they couldn't hurt anyone ever again. And we wanted it to be someone we did not know and who did not know our daughter. I believe that's been answered also. And those are very comforting things. End quote. Now, from the moment he was charged, Sanchez has always maintained his innocence, claiming that he had no part in the crime, and he continues to maintain his innocence today. But when he went to trial in February of 2006, the evidence against him led a jury to find him guilty of all charges after almost nine hours of deliberation. According to the reporting of Jane Glenn Cannon for The Oklahoman, the jury began to deliberate around 11 a.m., At about 5 p.m., the jury sent a note to the judge that said they were at an impasse. So the judge told the jurors to return to deliberation as long as they were, quote, still having meaningful dialogue, end quote. About three hours later, then, they came back with the guilty verdict. Ultimately, Sanchez received a 40-year sentence for the rape conviction and a 20-year sentence for sodomy. But he received the death penalty for Julie's murder. While Sanchez sat quiet in the courtroom as the jury read the verdict, he did speak up afterward. He turned toward Julie's parents and said, quote, I swear to God, I didn't kill your daughter, end quote. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the past 17 years, Anthony Sanchez has been sitting on death row. The now 44-year-old is scheduled to be executed by lethal injection on September 21st of this year. However, in recent months, Sanchez has sought to have his death sentence thrown out, claiming in a court filing that his father, Thomas Glenn Sanchez, was the actual killer. According to CBS News, in February of this year, his attorneys asked the Court of Criminal Appeals for an evidentiary hearing, saying that his conviction should be vacated. Nolan Clay for The Oklahoman reported that Sanchez claims his father actually confessed before committing suicide in April of 2022. This new evidence has allegedly come from Glenn Sanchez's longtime girlfriend, Charlotte Beattie. According to a sworn declaration written by Beattie, quote, Glenn said more than once that he should have done a better job of killing Miss Buskin. Once he said he enjoyed watching her die. Glenn said that he regretted Anthony was on death row for something Glenn did. But he said that Anthony was tough and could deal with being locked up, whereas Glenn wasn't strong enough to adapt to being incarcerated. End quote. According to the Oklahoman, Glenn Sanchez met Beattie in 1992, and the two of them have a son together, a fact Beattie wrote in her sworn statement. And according to Beatty's written statement, Glenn admitted to killing Julie several times before he ultimately took his own life on Beatty's front porch. At the time of his death in 2022, Glenn Sanchez was 68 years old. In the new court filing regarding this new evidence, documentation also calls into question some of the original physical evidence and eyewitness testimony that was presented by the prosecution in Anthony Sanchez's trial back in 2006. So, according to the new court filing, requesting post-conviction relief, nothing directly pointed to Sanchez. Well, you know, other than the DNA evidence. 
However, during his trial, it was revealed that a bullet with a rifling pattern that matched the bullet that killed Julie was found at a former residence where Sanchez had lived. But the new court filing points out that the state's expert witness said the bullet pattern was relatively common and could be found in bullets from at least six different manufacturers. Also, according to the court filing, the original shoe print found at the crime scene was linked to the same type of shoes that Sanchez was said to have worn. However, the state's shoe print witnesses, is that a thing? (laughs) Shoe print witnesses? Anyway, the witnesses did not say it was the same size as what Sanchez wore. They only said it was the same type. More striking, though, is the eyewitness testimony. Apparently, the woman who saw, briefly, both Julie and the quote-unquote perpetrator in Julie's car on the way to the lake described a man several years older than Julie, who we know was 21. The woman said Julie was, quote, several years younger than the gentleman she was with, end quote. At the time of the crime, Anthony Sanchez was only 18 years old. Also, this is the same woman who helped with the police sketch of the suspect. And y'all, I'm not gonna lie, that sketch looks a lot more like Sanchez's father, Glenn, than it does Anthony. I'll post a picture to all my socials so y'all can see it too. And I definitely want y'all, my listeners, to tell me what you think. Because to me, that picture alone is pretty compelling. Anyway, the new court filing brought up some evidence that actually kind of excludes Anthony Sanchez as well. Evidently, the filing claims, investigators lifted 49 sets of fingerprints from the car, and not one of those matches were made to Sanchez. Additionally, 18 identifiable prints were never matched to anyone, which means one of those sets could potentially belong to Sanchez's father. What's more, apparently there was, quote, a number of hairs collected without there ever being a report of a hair consistent with Anthony Sanchez, end quote. Okay, so now I want to share with you some information from Sanchez's spiritual advisor, the Reverend Dr. Jeff Hood. In an interview with Oklahoma's News 4 reporter, Caitlin Ogle, Dr. Hood said, quote, the family of Julie Buskin deserves to know the truth, and I have no doubt that the truth is that Anthony Sanchez did not kill their daughter. End quote. So now, let me tell you why Dr. Hood believes this. According to the Oklahoman, Hood said he learned of Glenn Sanchez's confession to his girlfriend when Hood began to speak with various members of the family. Hood said, quote, I've worked with dozens and dozens of guys on death row throughout our country. This is the first situation where I believe I have encountered a case of actual innocence. End quote. According to Hood, investigators claim that Anthony Sanchez was robbing cars on December 20th, 1996, because he needed to pay for Christmas gifts. Then, when he saw Julie in the parking lot of her apartment complex, he jumped at the opportunity to commit such a heinous crime. Hood said, quote, It doesn't make sense for someone to, you know, just all of a sudden decide, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to rape and kill someone, end quote. Regarding the sketch of the suspect, Hood said, quote, Anthony doesn't have the facial structure, the facial makeup that looks like this sketch, but we do see with Glenn, Anthony's dad, a very similar facial structure, end quote. So considering all of this refutable evidence presented in the new court filing, to me, it really does make you question if they're about to execute an innocent man in September. But regardless, Oklahoma law enforcement rejects all of the evidence brought forth and are sticking to their guns. They believe, without a doubt, that they have convicted the man who took Julie's life. 
For example, Oklahoma Attorney General Gittner Drummond responded to the confessions that Glenn Sanchez allegedly expressed to Charlotte Beatty. Drummond said that if the confessions are in fact true, then he believes they were most likely a ploy intended to scare Charlotte for whatever reason. In a court opinion, Judge David Lewis wrote that Charlotte's description of Glenn, quote, portrays a violent and profoundly disturbed man given to vague and menacing claims of involvement in the murder for which his son was convicted, end quote. The judge also wrote that all of the other evidence so strongly points to Anthony Sanchez being the perpetrator that, quote, even if Glenn Sanchez had confessed his guilt on the witness stand under oath at Anthony Sanchez's murder trial, no reasonable fact finder would have acquitted Anthony Sanchez of killing Julie Buskin, end quote. And apparently, according to state attorneys, the possibility that the DNA could actually belong to Sanchez's father was already explored and rejected at trial. Also, according to court testimony, as reported by Maddie Keyes for the OU Daily, quote, the probability of the match being a mistake was one in 200 quadrillion for Caucasians, one in 20 quintillion for African Americans, and one in 94 quadrillion for Southwest Hispanics, end quote. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all those numbers mean, like how large those numbers actually are, but um, clearly those are some critical statistics. Former Cleveland County DA Tim Kirkendall reiterated how all of this evidence they gathered pointed to Anthony Sanchez and not his father. Kirkendall said, quote, It was one thing after another. I don't care if a hundred people come forward and confess to killing Julie Buskin. All of the evidence pointed to no one but Anthony Sanchez, end quote. And y'all, part of what Kirkendall is talking about here is what a U.S. district judge noted back in 2015, rejecting a challenge to the conviction. The judge wrote, quote, After the murder, the fact that Miss Buskin's cell phone was used to call the petitioner's ex-girlfriend is more than just a coincidence, end quote. Um, what? <laughs> okay, so if that is true, then either Anthony is a thousand percent guilty or his father had it out for his son and decided to pin the murder on his son by using Julie's cell phone to call Anthony's ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely to me. Plus, in an effort to officially debunk the claim that Sanchez's father was the actual murderer, the OSBI claims that they did conduct a new DNA test in February of this year. They used a blood sample from the father, Thomas Glenn Sanchez, which was obtained by the medical examiner's office. According to the OSBI, the father's DNA does not match the DNA evidence from the crime scene. Attorney General Drummond and his assistants told the court, quote, This very recent lab report, yet again, confirms what the state and the courts have already known for many years now. Petitioner, and petitioner alone, is responsible for the abduction, rape, forcible sodomy, and brutal murder of Julie Buskin on the morning of December 20th, 1996, end quote. So, needless to say, in April of this year, Sanchez's request for a new hearing was denied, and the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals ruled against the request 5-0. Sanchez's execution will go through as planned on September 21st. Okay, y'all, so you know I do not like to end my episodes with talking about the perpetrator, or potential perpetrators, or convicted suspects, or whatever you want to call them. So, let's get back to Julie, who regardless of whatever monster took her innocent life, deserves justice, period. Because Julie was a beautiful young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. She had hopes and dreams and goals. 
Julie was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas on October 24th, 1975. Before her life was so senselessly taken, she had just received her Bachelor of Fine Arts degree at OU, where she was particularly skilled in classical ballet. Julie is remembered for her love of ballet and the extensive practice and demands of precision that it requires. She gave one of her grandest performances in Swan Lake shortly before her death, and she had plans to attend graduate school at the University of Arkansas. She wanted to obtain her master's in teaching so she could eventually become a ballet teacher and open her own dance studio. In 2011, 15 years after Julie's death, the then OU president, David Bourne, discussed with News 9 how he had just watched Julie perform in Swan Lake back in 1996, and he remembered her fondly. Bourne said, quote, she had a beautiful spirit about her. Even when you just saw her walking across campus in her everyday street clothes, you felt she walked with such dignity and grace that you'd say to yourself, I bet she's a ballet dancer, end quote. Julie's memory does live on at OU, though, in the form of a dance scholarship at the OU College of Fine Arts. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 48. Be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. You can also reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com and be sure to check out my TikTok for some additional Campus Crime stories. Y'all, I also just recently posted an update on the Megan McDonald case. That was my last episode, Chronicle 47. And so I posted an update to that case on my TikTok. So if you remember, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, then I definitely urge you to go listen to it. But in that episode, I discussed that police expected to make an arrest soon, hopefully this year, but we didn't know exactly when that would come. And honestly, I was thinking it would be like later on, maybe in the summer. But y'all, on Thursday, April 20th, police announced that they finally made an arrest after 20 years. So y'all go check that out. Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle. goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.